Let's turn in our Bibles to Nehemiah chapter 6. In 1904, uh, there's a man called William Borden, graduated from a high school in Chicago, 16. And he was rather well to do, so his parents sent him on a round-the-world trip, as you do. Um, but as he travelled through Asia, the Middle East and Europe, he felt a growing burden for the lost and hurting people in the world. And finally, he wrote home to his parents to tell them about his desire to be a missionary. Uh, his one friend uh, expressed disbelief, saying that Bill was throwing himself away as a missionary. And in response, William Borden wrote two words in the, the back of his Bible. He wrote, No reserves. It meant I'm not having a plan B, not having a backup plan. I'm giving myself uh, to s- serving God. Uh, he went to Yale University, and uh, there he was a, a real force for good. He was salt and light, like we read in Matthew chapter 5. He was salt and light there. He started a prayer meeting, and then he started a Bible study. And by the beginning of his final year at Yale, there were 1,000 students meeting for weekly Bible study and prayer out of a total of 1,300 students at Yale. Um, He was a a fearless personal evangelist. Whenever they would be sitting in their their groups and talking about people in the the university uh, who weren't coming to Bible studies to find out about Christ or who hadn't come to put their trust in Christ. And they were, they were saying, well, who'll pray for so-and-so and who'll go and speak to them? Whenever there was a real hard nut case and there would be a silence, well, who'll go and speak to this person? Who'll, who'll witness to them? There was a silence. And then William Borden's voice would be heard, put him down against my name. And nobody wanted the responsibility of the hardened atheist or the, the mocking uh, taunts of, of someone, and Bill or William Borden would say, I'll, I'll take them, I'll speak to them. It's compassionate. He used to go out and, and seek to uh, rescue drunks uh, from the streets. He founded a, an organization, and this is a man in his teens, uh, <laughs> teens and early 20s, founded uh, a Yale Hope Mission to reach uh, the poor, the disabled, the widows, the orphans, the alcoholics uh, near the university. And then he he focused in as he was thinking about going to do mission work on a particular group of Muslims in China, the Kansu people. And um, he focused in on that. And graduating from, from Yale, this wealthy, intelligent young man was offered a whole host of jobs top flight jobs and he wrote in his Bible after turning them down two more words no retreats perhaps he'd been tempted by the the high paying high profile lucrative jobs that were offered to him he said no 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 no, I'm not going back no retreats so Borden uh, went on to do graduate work at Uh, Princeton Seminary, finished his studies at Princeton, uh, was traveling to China, stopped in Egypt to learn Arabic, and while in Egypt he contracted spinal meningitis. Within a month, 
25, William Borden was dead. What a loss. What a waste, some thought. And then they found his Bible. And underneath the words, no reserves, no retreats, there was a third pair. No regrets. No regrets. Here was a young man who had given himself uh, to living for Christ. Uh, His colleagues, some of them would have thought he had thrown away his life. He said, no, no, no. He wouldn't regret a single moment of it. He was giving himself to be involved in this great task, this noble project. Uh, And the, the theme that we're thinking of this morning is one that has cropped up over and over again in our studies in Nehemiah, but I wanted just to hone in on it uh, this morning and unpack it a little. It's the greatness and grandeur of the task that the Christian is involved in. I was looking at a, a booklet that summarized uh, the book of Nehemiah, and one of the, the summary lines was this, the nobility of working for God. What's the book of Nehemiah about? It's about persevering in prayer. It's about uh, being concerned for God's glory. It's about taking practical steps uh, for the advancement of God's kingdom. Another line then, so it's about the nobility of working for God. And that's what we want to see this morning. Our thoughts are going to be focused particularly on verse 3. Nehemiah's reply, I am carrying on a great project, or as the King James Version has it, I am doing a great work. I am doing a great work. And as we want to look at this this morning, there's three things uh, to see. First of all, there's encouragement. There's encouragement. What is it Nehemiah is doing? Well, he's not given himself to a missionary task, in a sense. He's not a preacher like Ezra. Okay, he has traveled about a thousand miles, but it's back to his home country, although he had never been there. It's back to where his roots were. Um, But what is it he's actually doing? He's a government administrator who's overseeing the building of a wall. He's making sure that people aren't squabbling. He's making sure that there's food on the table. It's very ordinary stuff. And yet, he can say, I'm involved in a great project. It's far bigger than Jerusalem. It's far bigger than bricks and mortar. And it's because he's involved in something that's far bigger than himself, far bigger than the nation of Israel, that gives what he's doing its glory and honor. And it's because he's working for God's kingdom. He's not living in his own little kingdom of Nehemiah. He's not even living in the little kingdom of Israel. He's living in his mind in the kingdom of God. He's not living in a small kingdom, but the great kingdom. That changes everything. It's all about God's glory and honor. And that's not seen today in walls, but in the church in Christians, in family, in witness, not at Jerusalem, but in your home, in your community, in this church, all around us. 
And if you're a Christian, you have something bigger to live for that gives your life significance and purpose. Jesus commissioned his disciples to go to all the nations and make disciples of them, teaching them and baptizing them. And we want to keep that great commission in view. That's our great role. We're building. Well, he's building. We're just the laborers. And we're involved in a building project that's built on a foundation that's been laid at immense cost. And that's what makes what we do great. Just as we we think for a moment on what makes it great. It's great. What you're involved in is great because of the value of Jesus. This is Jesus' church. God the Son took flesh. And he took that flesh. He took up flesh, as it were, and skin and bones and humanity. He took it up so that he could lay it down at death so that we, who were disobedient rebels, could be brought into this kingdom. Jesus, God the Son, did this so that we could be involved. Because of Jesus, what we do and how you live and where you live and how you live for Jesus has immense value because Jesus is worthy. And how you live displays the greatness of Jesus to people. How you live in putting Jesus first shows a world that has no interest in putting Jesus first that you think he's worth it. What a great project to be involved in. You have seen something that few people around you have seen. You have seen that Jesus deserves your utmost allegiance. You've got it. They haven't. So you're living in such a way that shows them that Jesus is glorious. You are like a pixel on a high-definition TV screen. Uh, a high-definition TV screen shows you the glory of something. But it's made up of thousands of little pixels. And as those pixels function, we see the glory in its, in its richness, in, its, in a definition that the older television sets couldn't have. We are, the Christian is like a pixel in that. And as we shine and as we live for Christ, we give definition to the glory of Christ so that people can see it. Jesus is ultimately glorious. The TV doesn't make the football match better, but it allows people to see how great the football match is or how wonderful a painting is or how great a piece of architecture is. And so, as we live for Christ, we're involved in this great project of displaying the glory of Christ. It's valuable because of the glory of Christ. It's valuable this project that you're involved in because people are valuable. Christ is valuable, but people are valuable. What shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world yet forfeit his soul? One soul, the whole world, Jesus says. Now one soul outweighs the whole that the world could offer. All the fame, the riches, the honor, the glory, the excitement, the pleasure. One soul. You've never met a worthless human being. They're made to know God. They're made to live forever. And what shall it profit 
a person, a young person, a, an old person, a man, a woman, a boy or a girl, if they gain the whole world? What shall it profit you? If you have a top job, what shall it profit you? If everybody thinks well of you, what shall it profit you? If you have all of that and go to hell. We know that. I hope we know that. If you're here this morning and you don't yet know that, you come and put your trust in Christ and grasp that you're worth, that He is worth more than this world can offer. And your soul itself is worth more than this world can offer. You're made to know God. And unless you know God, everything else is of zero profit But worse, it's of ultimate loss, eternal loss. And this is the great project we're involved in. Living for Christ so that people can see that there is more to life than this world. And it's this project we're engaged in is important because it's a great project because of the power of the gospel. We read in Matthew 5 of being salt and light. Salt preserves the meat from rotting. Light dispels the darkness. And the Christian is to to be both a preservative in society and to shine the light of the gospel. And if we shine the light of the gospel, if we light a candle, we don't know how long that candle will burn or how many other candles will be lit from it that will bring more and more light into a dark world. What an incredible project that you have been given the glory of being a preservative in this spiraling, downward spiraling wicked world. You've been given the glory of shining, of being a light in the darkness. Does that not encourage you? As you seek to live for Jesus in your family, in your housing estate, hear Nehemiah's assessment of the work you're doing. You can say with him, I am doing, I am carrying out a great project. I am carrying out a great project. As you seek to raise your children to to be obedient. Perhaps the ironing didn't get done that day and the floor didn't get washed because you had to spend 45 minutes talking a child uh, into obedience and dealing with them and praying with them and correcting them. And you think, I didn't get so much done, but you were involved in a great project, a vital project. You're you're praying for your children. They haven't come to Christ yet, but you're praying for them. And you'll be discouraged, be encouraged. You are involved in a great project. You're doing the right thing on the farm or in business. And it's taking you extra time, and it's taking, it's just causing hassle. And people are looking, what are you doing it that way for? And maybe you're, you're causing them hassle because you're doing it right and they want to do it wrong. That's not just a minor thing happening in Letterkenny or Convoy or Mulroy Bay. You're involved in a great project, displaying that you live under another king. You show grace in the office to the colleagues who are perhaps childish or irritable or frustrating. 
That's part of the great project. Your whole Christianity explored courses. You prepare. You read over those notes and you pray for the person that's coming. You're involved. Say to yourself, I am involved. I'm carrying on a great project. You work hard fighting temptation. You're working on godliness. You're working at your marriage. You're involved in a great project. I am carrying on a great project. You give yourself to parenting your children. You give yourself to teaching the Sabbath school. You prepare on a Saturday and you're praying for the children under your care. And people would look at you and think, what, what a waste. Give the children a break. There's a school five other days of the week. Why do you want to be brainwashing them with that nonsense? Say to yourself, I'm involved. I'm carrying out a great project. You seek to witness, to live consistently, to set Christ apart as Lord so that people will ask you to give a hope, to give an answer for the, the hope that you have. As Peter puts it, you're carrying out a great project. You maintain levels of honesty and integrity in conversation, in business, in the workplace, amongst the people you have coffee with. Say to yourself, I am, <coughs> I am carrying out a great project. Young people at school, under pressure to fit in with everybody else, realize that as you live the way Christ calls you to live, that you're... <coughs> Excuse me. Say to yourself, remind yourself, I am carrying out a great project. Not a project in terms of sort of an assignment that, you know, well, that's that done and dusted, but I am working on a great task. This is what I'm doing. Here's our encouragement. C.T. Studd, another missionary, he wrote these words, Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. The greatness of the project that you're involved in. You don't have to be a missionary in far-flung countries like Borden or Studd or William Carey, men that we've mentioned in the last few weeks. You're carrying out a great task here, whether it's Ballymena, whether it's Mulroy, whether it's Remelton, whether it's Convoy, whether it's Rafoe. You're carrying out this great task. Encouragement. Secondly, safeguard. And Nehemiah's sense of the greatness of his task keeps him from the schemes of Geshem and Sanballat and Tobiah. And the sense of the greatness of our task will safeguard us from at least four dangers. It'll safeguard us from attack or temptation. In chapter 6, they send for Nehemiah to come and talk. Um, He could have been uh, lured into going, but he doesn't go because he's convinced of the greatness of the task. They seek to lure him into sin later on in the chapter to come into the temple where Nehemiah isn't allowed because he's not a Levite, uh, he's not a priest, uh, he's not allowed in. They want to discredit him. Nehemiah doesn't go because he knows it would ruin everything. You see, 
You're not a nobody if you're a Christian. You're an ambassador of the King of Kings. And if you fall, you dishonor Christ. You damage your witness. You damage other Christians and their witness. And it destroys the, the positive influence that you've had. You aren't a nobody. You're an ambassador of the King of Kings. You're carrying out, you're engaged in an important task. You seek to raise your children. Remember when you're tempted uh, to, to snap at them or to be short with them. No. I am raising them for Christ. I am doing an important work. As a young person who's tempted to put a relationship above Christ, say, no, no, no. I want a relationship with someone more than I want to follow Christ. No, no, no. Living for Christ, I'm engaged in a great task. The businessman, the farmer, whoever is tempted to to (coughs) bend things a little bit. No, no, no. I am carrying out a great project whose very vitality hinges on the integrity of each of its members. You're tempted to grumble about your circumstances because illness has come or injury has come or difficulty has come. Remember that the king has put you there. That's not, that's not taking you away from the great task that you were involved in. We often think that, although if I had this and that, I would be able to serve the king better. He has put you where he wants you to be involved in the great task there, to be a witness there. So remind yourself when we're inclined to grumble about the circumstances, no, here I am carrying out a great project. We're tempted to hide the light that Christ has given to us. We're lighthouses. Oh, the tragedy of a lighthouse when the light goes out. We are carrying out a great task. We're tempted to pull back a little bit on our moral views that come from the Bible. We're to be salt and light, to stop the rot. Imagine... Whenever salt loses its saltiness, it gets mixed in with a lot of other stuff. It's not as effective at preserving the meat. The meat starts to go putrid. It's fit for nothing. It's poisonous. This is an important task. This is a, a vital task. It safeguards us against attack, against temptation. It safeguards us against time wasting. Nehemiah says, Why should the work stop? We have only one life. And yes, we're entitled and allowed to enjoy this life in terms of there are good things that we can do and we can can go and we we can be involved in sport and we can be involved in different groups and clubs and we can be involved in all sorts of activities. But those activities are connected into the great task. but we can waste time on nonsense. I know that. Ours frittered collectively as you were to sum up the time that can be wasted just poking around the internet. 
was really challenged by this verse. Uh, while I was writing the sermon and I paused to check my email, and I thought, no, I'm involved and I'm carrying out a great task. Stop it, Mark. Close down the email program so you don't get distracted. Your Bible reading. What's distracting you from that? It's just say to yourself, no, this is important. I am engaged in a great project. About our use of time, ask yourself, how am I using my time to contribute to this great task? Living for Christ in all the variety of ways that we do that. It safeguards us against time-wasting. It safeguards us against distraction. There are good things that we can be involved in, but that would take us away from aspects of the great project that we're already involved in. Nehemiah could have said to himself, well, I might have an opportunity to witness to Sanballat and Tobiah and Geshem. I could speak to them of the true God, but he thought, no, this is what I'm doing here. I've got to focus on this. Parents could see the children's education. It's a good thing. But they could make it an ultimate thing and lose sight of the great task that they're engaged in in seeking to bring up their children to know Christ and to follow Christ. This safeguards us against distraction. For example, somebody, John Piper says about cancer, he says, you know, don't, don't hang your hopes on treatment. You see, a Christian could be pursuing treatment and pursuing treatment and pursuing treatment. That's nothing wrong with that. But we don't hang our hopes in the treatment. We hang our hopes on God. And we get on with living and serving God no matter the outcome of the treatment. That's the task. That's the project. Reminder, no matter what's happening, we're involved in this great project. It safeguards us uh, against distraction. It safeguards us against discouragement. Obviously, that's the flip side of the, the coin of being encouraged. But Satan will come to you and say, well, what are you achieving? What have you done with your day? What have you done with your life? Or that's of little use. You say, no, 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 no. I have taught my child obedience. I have lived for Christ today under pressure. I have been faithful in the workplace. I have been praying for my family. I have been pleading at the throne of grace for my children. They'll come to God and, and Satan will say to you, or you'll feel in yourself, I've done nothing today. Or somebody might see that, you know, you're giving money to the church. What, what a waste of your money. You're giving time to, to run Christianity Explored and little seems to be coming out of it. What's the point? You give time to go and have coffee with a neighbor and nothing seems to come. What's the point? Here's the safeguard. No, I am carrying out a great project. And I will not stop. I will not go down. I will not be put off it. Same old temptation comes to you again and again. It doesn't just seem to go away and you're discouraged by it. You say to yourself, no, 
Fighting this is part of the great task. That's why Satan keeps coming at me with this. If he wasn't trying to pull me out of the road of this great task, he wouldn't keep coming. Look at how it keeps coming to Nehemiah. Over and over again they send for him. He remembers and he says to them over and over again, I am carrying out a great project. Four times they sent me the same message and each time I gave them the same answer. He's preaching to himself as much as he's preaching to them. God has placed you where he's placed you because you have a part to play in his great work. And Andrew Fuller, uh, another, um, he, was a, he was a minister, a friend of the missionary William Carey. And uh, Andrew Fuller wrote this, The greatest work requires attention to a multitude of little things. It is composed of little things. Great works are not accomplished by a single exploit, but by a series of labors. Little things. Little things. Little moments with your neighbors where you show godliness and care and concern. Little moments with our children over and over and over again. Little things. Praying for people regularly. Little things. Satan wants to distract us and to discourage us. I am carrying out A noble task, a great task. That's a safeguard. Remembering the great task you're involved in safeguards us. And then third, it encourages us, it safeguards us, and it challenges us. It challenges us. Time's gone, but let me finish with it. We can only say this if two things are true. Personally, we have to be connected to the great task. To be connected to the great task, we've got to be connected to the great Saviour. If we're not connected to Christ, then nothing we do is great. We can invent a cure for cancer. So what? Wonderful for this life, for us, and for this world, for others. But what will it profit anyone if they gain the whole world And they gain a whole new lease of life and yet forfeit their soul. What will it profit you if you save a million lives but forfeit your own soul? Are you connected to the great Savior? John Piper tells the the story of um, a couple who took early retirement and bought a yacht and sailed the Caribbean collecting shells in their retirement. And they imagined them in the day of judgment saying to the Lord, look, see my shells. Look what I've done with the life you've given to me. Look at my shell collection. Missed out because they're not personally connected to the great Savior. Make sure you're connected to Christ, that he's your Savior. Then practically, this can only encourage us Not only if we are personally connected to Christ, but if we are practically engaged in the great task. So let this challenge us to to recommit, to refresh our vision of what God has called us to do. Where he's called us, whether it's in school, whether it's painting, whether it's farming mussels, whether it's raising our children, whether it's 
coping with illness, whatever it is. I'm not going to go around everyone work my way around, but work the way. We need to refresh our vision at times for what we're doing. And we need to recalibrate as our circumstances change. And as God may move us from one field of people that, that we've been connecting with to another field of people. Um, and we're thinking, oh, I, I need this thing changed so that I can get back to these people. Well, God has perhaps put you into a whole new set of people. I think of my mum with MS. With connections made to a whole host of people in the MS society that wouldn't otherwise have been there. Connections made to, to nurses at the, the respite uh, centre in Ballycastle where she is this week. An opportunity to connect and to live out the gospel, to live out the kingship of Christ amongst other people. But we need to see those changes don't affect the great task that we're involved in. We know of older people who aren't able to be out and about, but they see their role in the great task to be emailing or phoning or praying for people all over the place. They get a prayer letter from here and they're praying for you. They're praying for you. They're involved in the great task because they've recalibrated uh, and they thought, how can I still be involved? We need to do this. Maybe that God is calling some here to mission or to ministry. Has God gifted you with skills that you could use in the mission field? Missionaries, Bible translators, ministers, or... Uh, I was listening to a man speak a couple of weeks ago uh, who uh, is involved in a Bible college in Uganda. And he was speaking in a, one of the islands off the coast of Scotland. The man came to him and said, I feel called to Africa. And they asked him, what did he do? He said, well, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a crofter. I'm, just a, I'm a farmer in one of the islands and raise sheep. And... Uh, Turns out, actually, that the man is also supremely gifted uh, in any sort of practical work whatsoever. And he's been running the building program in Uganda uh, for this Bible college for the last eight years and overseeing all the new building works and all the construction and everything that goes about it. What service? This man I was speaking to was just glowing with praise for the part this man played in his work. There's someone who was saying that he could be involved, connected to this greater task. How exciting it is to be a Christian. How exciting it is. Eternity will unveil the sheer scope and grandeur of the project. You will be able to look at it. And your Savior will show you the part that you played in the work of his kingdom and you'll see the impact of it traced out through. And I think one of the joys of heaven will be tracing the work of God across all its rich connections and seeing the part that Christ used us in. Say to yourself, when you're discouraged, when you're being distracted, I am 
carrying on a great project. I won't stop. Christ is worth it. Let's pray. Father in heaven, how we praise you and thank you that you not only save us, but that you call us to serve you. Lord, sometimes you call us to serve you in difficult places. But then how else can the wonder and the sufficiency of Jesus Christ be seen except whenever we're under pressure? And so I pray for your people here that you will keep them on track in serving in this great project, that you will enable them to see the ways that they are already engaged in the great project and enable them to keep persevering. Lord, grant them to see fruit in this great task of living for you. And Father, where our circumstances are changing or have changed, give us the ability to see our lives with kingdom vision and to see how we can serve you and live for you and be involved in the great project where you've placed us. Father, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.